Here we go. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how are you doing today? Friday Eve. That's how I'm doing. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited. This is part two of our ransomware episode. Uh, we have a, a special guest here. His name is Matthew Newfield. He's the Chief Security Infrastructure Officer at Unisys. Matt, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Cameron, Gabe, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll start off the show like we always do. If you don't mind, just kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and where you came from and how you got to Unisys. Sure. So again, my name is Matthew Newfield. You had it exactly correct. Um, I am the CSIO here, which is both the CIO and the CISO for our corporation. I've been with Unisys about three and a half years. Prior to that, I ran managed security services and was the BSO at IBM. I've been in cyber for over 20 years. I don't like to talk about all the gray in my beard and hair, but been doing this a long time, started in this field, um, doing physical break-ins and pen testing. So that was how I sort of got my feet wet and I've uh, been doing it ever since and absolutely just love what I do for a living. We're here today to, this is part two of our ransomware episode, but we might have to have you back to talk about the physical break-in stuff. Like I love hearing about the early parts of people's careers in cyber because it's usually it's just it's fairly random like you get the run of the mill yeah i was the network guy i was i was you know the the firewall guy and then you get the i was the break in the physical break in guy <laughs> you know it's a, it's even weirder than that early on in my career i actually ran restaurants for a living and i have a psychology degree so let's no, put all sense. this together and yeah no if you can run <laughs> the back of a house of a restaurant you can totally be a CISO. That's that is the exactly. qualification. <laughs> yeah, if you can keep a restaurant organized on a Friday night during a rush, we're, we're good to go. That's right. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so, on last week's episode, we talked a lot about ransomware. I got the our listeners caught up very clinically, and I mean super clinically on what ransomware is. We went through statistics, the whole nine, super clinical. But I'd like to kick this show off because we, 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 we told our audience this one's going to be a hell of a lot more practical. Like We wanted to get someone on that can really talk about how we address the problems that ransomware poses. But I want to start the same way we did the yeah. last episode, which is tell us what ransomware is. It'll look, it, it, you went through the clinical explanation, and, and we don't want to regurgitate really what you did, which I thought was spot on. But really, if you're taking a step back and you don't want to get really detailed into what ransom, you know, the, the bits and bytes of ransomware, it's the moneymaker. It is the modern moneymaker. It is the thing that adversaries use because they know they can exploit human weakness. 
you know, I said I, I have a psychology degree, and one of the things I, I do a lot is really put the human side to what we do. And let's be blunt. People like to click links. I've never understood why, but people, you know, my joke is people like to go clicky, 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 <laughs> and they just do. And no amount of training, no amount of anything really gets people to stop doing that. And I think the main reason is because at our core, we're trusting, right? We are a species that trusts you know, we, we trust those people we respect. If you see a name that looks like your boss or a friend or a relative, you just sort of inherently trust. And in modern society, we're all very busy. Everybody moves a mile a minute. So we are moving, right? I mean, before COVID, we were running through airports. We're, you know, late to drop our kids off. We're late to the office. We're doing things on these mobile phones. And adversaries know that and they exploit it. And they also exploit a weakness that we don't want to be called out. Just as a general in society, this bad thing pops up. It says, pay me or else most people in the past would pay. If that's the quickest form to resolution, that's what you would have to do. And you don't really know any better. Um, and let's also be honest with the advent of Bitcoin. It makes it so much easier for them not to be tracked or traced um, because you you make those payments and you really have no clue where it's going. It's not like they're providing you their checking account number. Um, and it's ransomware is also the thing that scares boards. It scares people because every single day you hear about it. We recently heard about the, the beef industry in the United States. We heard about the Colonial Pipeline. And it's moved from bad things are happening to corporations with deep pockets to critical infrastructure. Um, and that's that's a very scary place for us to be. So scary, as I mentioned on the first episode, that the United States Department of Justice has now labeled the ransomware threat on par with terrorism. That's a, that's a pretty high bar. That's a fairly high bar. <clears throat> I have minor squirrel moment. I have a theory as to why people like to click links. Unvisited links are blue. Okay. Visited links are purple and active links are red. We need to turn that around. Like unvisited links should be red. Then people won't click it. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay, so it could be, but I would tell you that it may work for a week and then people get used to it and they go back to clicky, clicky, clicky. Right. It, and again, it, and I think the other the core problem with ransomware is you hear about it happening to others. You hear about it happening to companies that are not yours. So a lot of people have a very misguided view that you must be targeted. Who am I? You know, what comp you know, what data do I have that's worth anything? And they forget that it's the collateral damage. If an adversary is targeting a company to breach, the odds of that company understanding they were breached is pretty small. You know, there have been studies that say, you know, MTTD, MTTR, mean time to detect and respond, combined could be upwards of a year for major corporations. Ransomware is completely different. It is, I have a list, I'm going to blast this thing out. And look, if I send a million ransomware links out and I get a tenth of a percent, do the math. That's valuable to them. And you covered the cyber kill chain in your last uh, podcast, you know, with that, the steps of ransomware, which is reconnaissance to start. 
And you also have to start stepping back and thinking to yourself, why are people not getting back to the basics of what you can do to not stop ransomware from happening because you can't? And I know we're going to get into this, but I think the whole purpose of this episode is, okay, you've been hit, now what? I'm glad you went there first because that, that is exactly where I wanted to go. I wanted to work my way backwards with our listeners through this. You've been hit, now what? We've been told that, well, you should have had, uh, you should have had backups in place, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's like the answer your parents give you, or, or, or even worse, it's like, it's like the answer, uh, I, I was sparring with, uh, one of the, 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 the guy who runs the, the Gracie Jiu Jitsu gym out in San Francisco, and he's, he's showing us this one move, and, and I pause because I'm obviously, I'm screwed at this point. And I turned to him, I said, all right, so uh, how do I get out of this? And he looks at me, he goes, you should have never gotten to it in the first place. That's, uh, that's the answer. And that's the answer a lot of people get with the yep. ransomware problem. It's like, well, you, you should have backed up everything, and then you'd be fine. But, but that's not the answer. There's got to be other answers. I'm sure there's not one, but there's got to be other answers to, you just got hit with the ransomware. What do you do? So, so let's, let's take it a different approach. I mean, we are making the assumption that it is the job of the security professional, if you are even lucky enough to have one in your organization, to stop ransomware, to stop bad things from happening. And yet we started this whole conversation where human nature is to trust and click links, which is one of the biggest way ransomware comes in. Let's not worry about they came in via an unpatched web server, unpatched service, unpatched VPN concentrator, et cetera. Let's just go with the the email based. And I think that in of itself is a misnomer and a bit of a fallacy. It's you can't look at a security organization and say, your job is to stop bad things from happening. My analogy to that is you come to me and say, hey, you're a really good car designer. Build me a car that can't get into an accident. Kind of not going to do that. Um, maybe one day they'll be there when we have true autonomous driving and everybody's using autonomous cars. But as of right now, that doesn't exist. So let's change. You could take the wheels off, put it on blocks, put it in my front yard, and we'll be good to go. But let's change our mindsets. And our mindset should be, when that thing happens, we all survive. Let's worry about putting airbags in our system. That's early detection, early braking, those kinds of things. And you can start realizing you can do things to make it so when someone does click that link, the world doesn't end. And a lot of it is getting back to basics. And putting in a good training program. And I had this conversation with someone just the other day where they're like, wow, you test a lot, but you don't train. You don't make people go through classrooms. And I said, you're looking at it wrong. The test is the training. It's not testing someone's ability to learn some curriculum. Let's use testing to train people because you want to build a muscle memory. You want people to be suspicious of all emails. Click that report fish button a million times, please. Let us investigate and help you. And then as a corporation, you want to put the basics back. How's your patch management look? How's your segmentation or micro-segmentation? Do you have EDR? Do you even know what EDR is? Are you still relying on things like antivirus to save the world? Right. And it's if you start thinking in this new way, you can, again, not stop, but quickly react. And then there is this, you know, if you think of software defined micro segmentation, if you think about um, active response capabilities, 
you know, the one I always love to talk about in these conversations, Gabe and uh, Cameron, is you said reconnaissance. So let's go with reconnaissance for a second. In an average corporation, yours, mine, doesn't matter whose, let's say there's 100 employees with 200 computers in general in that company. If you sat down and thought about it, how many of those employees are authorized to run network Everyone. recon? Authorized. Ah, zero. Not able to, but <laughs> yes. my, my, atta- my okay. attacker's mindset right. is like, you should not be running ARP scans and pings. That's right. But you shouldn't be doing that. We know you shouldn't be doing that. Okay. So zero employees, that means zero identities in the company. How many systems within an organization are authorized to run network recon? And again, outside of some specialized VMS systems, the answer should be zero. Okay, so you said in the last podcast that the first thing that happens is recon. When someone gets ransomware, the system that's infected is looking, right? It's trying to get to a command and control server. It is looking for other things to infect before it deletes itself. It's it's doing the, the quick spider walk, right? It's got to figure out where am I? And yet, most organizations ignore network recon. They allow it. They don't do anything about it. And again, if you change that mentality to go, well, hold on, I got hit, someone clicked the link, it somehow got past my basic controls, my EDR, my antivirus, whatever you have in your environment, why are you not actively putting protections in place to take that machine off the network? How about disabling that user account if that system performs network recon? And I'm not saying that's the golden answer. But if you start thinking about how you respond and how you may respond differently in the future, you can have a really powerful set of controls put in play so that when you have a problem, and we all have them, right? I will never go out there and say, we in my organization, nah, we never have problems because that's not true, right? And same with your organization, You can actually do some very powerful things to help reduce your threat landscape and to help reduce the damage that could be done when you get breached. I'll throw another ransomware out there. Um, And I know because, Gabe, you're having some uh, internet problems because you said it is the day before Friday, right? And bad things always (laughs) happen on Fridays. That's just the way this works. I think the other problem with ransomware in general as a concept, <laughs> most people believe that the company's got it. I don't have to worry about it. I can click all the links I want because I work for a company. That company must have controls. They must take care of it. And let's be honest, if the company has a problem, they got money. They'll pay it. We'll be back to work in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. And that is a hard mentality to break, right? Because that's cultural in a lot of companies, especially large organizations where people with our titles aren't really seen on a day-to-day basis or known throughout the organization. It's this you know, weird group of people that must have hoodies on and hide in basements and don't understand what sunlight is doing things uh, to protect the company. So again, if you're thinking about it and having some fun with it, psychology degree, You can step back and go, well, how do I make this personal? You're right. 
employee, associate. You're right that there are controls here in the company that we put in place. We have maybe micro-segmentation, maybe we have good EDR, maybe we have controls, we have a report phishing button. But I'm not training you just to protect the company. I'm training you to protect yourself because that computer in your home that I actually don't manage for you, if you click a link on that, now what are you going to do? If you click a link and your bank account gets wiped out, your savings account gets wiped out, you click a link and an adversary starts emailing all of your friends and infects them because you clicked the link, what's the impact of that? And who's going to come help? In, in the last five minutes, you, you, you highlighted two things. Well, one thing in particular I hadn't really thought about. Right? I mean, I thought about it, but I just hadn't put the dots together. Ransomware is fairly noisy upon first getting in. It gets quiet after a while, right? Like it, it starts to live off the land, and, and now we see it it, it. it takes one or two, two additional drops before it actually deploys the ransomware payload. But on top of the network recon, we talked about this in the last episode, it's also doing file system recons. It's fairly noisy. Like there's these systems out yeah. there looking at a bunch of systems and crawling a bunch of, of files. It's like, wait a second. That is super noisy for an attacker to go that unnoticed. Um, you, you, that, was, uh, that was one of those realizations that was kind of stuck in the back of my head until you just said it. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's just a lot of noise for an attacker to make. And they just come in banging pots and pans and somehow we're missing them. That's right. And, and that, that is exactly right. And, you know, it's always the hindsight is twenty twenty when you when you work with organizations that have experienced these major attacks. They'll always tell you, yeah, you know, the, the, we had the telltale signs. We had the telltale signs. And again, you, you start, again, being an armchair quarterback or whatever analogy you want to use, you, you start going back. And again, basics. Do, do your administrators check their email with admin level credentials? Okay, so you let people do the clicky-clicky thing with domain average privileges. Kind of right there, why are you doing that? Right. Uh, wait a minute, is, is that a Windows 7 machine that you're using? You don't have, well, you know, it's expensive. And I'm like, okay, so how many vulnerabilities are out there for that? Oh, you're using single-factor authentication. Oh, you don't encrypt the local file store. Oh, your remote access, because now everybody's working from home, has no timeouts ever. Someone VPNs in and well, they're in month, day, week, year, doesn't matter. You don't do any SIM analysis that it's a little strange that Billy, who works Monday through Friday, nine to five, has a ton of traffic at two in the morning. Basics. We have to get back to basics. That That's is the, the second. second thing that you highlighted. I mentioned the first one before, which was the, the pots and pans noise that, that it makes. But the work from anywhere scenario, the clicky clicky. If your spouse, son, daughter, grandmother, mother-in-law, et cetera, is on that same home network and they're clicky clicky because they are. They're even more clicky clicky than, than you know a lot of us are. Yeah. And you're on that same network and now that ransomware starts looking around. It's like, oh, what is – What's that over there? What is that? Uh, is that uh, is that a Matt Newfield machine? I wanna I wanna go see if I can get into that thing. Let me see if I can. And and then there it is. And then there it is. Let's be honest. We've we've said this a lot in different conversations that we've had, and that I've I've 
you know, when I'm out there speaking, what happened a year ago, take all of the tragedies associated with COVID. I'm just talking from a cyber IT perspective, just so people don't think this is callous, but we took people globally and moved them from generally secure environments to the most hostile networks on the planet. And that's your house. I mean, let's, let's be blunt. Most people I talk to when I say things like, have you ever patched your television? Did, do, does your television have a camera? How about your thermostat? When's the last time you rebooted your, your uh, home high-speed router? And they go, I have a router? Well, well it's a Comcast router. The, the answer is two hours ago. <laughs> Too well, you know. I'm not going to knock anybody, but yes, I understand. <laughs> but but people, you ask them, did you change the password? And and I give this story since we're gonna we're flipping a little to home networks because I think it's important. I said, so let me guess. One day you made a phone call to one eight hundred number, and you said, I need internet. I need TV. I need phone. Within a 42-hour window, someone showed up to your door with a clipboard and a bunch of boxes, and you went, yay, and you let them wander around your house for a couple hours, plugging some stuff in. At the end of a couple hours, they sat on their phone for a little while, and they came over and said, we're done. Bring up your laptop. Can you get to the internet? And you went, yay, and they said, turn on your TV. Can you get to this channel? And you went, yay, pick up your phone. Do you have a dial tone? And you said, yay, and they left. And you did nothing else. You didn't change passwords. You didn't verify. You didn't do any sort of identity inside the environment to see what's there. And now, to your point, Gabe, we're working out of that environment. That is your new corporate network. Yay. Add-on privacy. I'm a CISO. Now, I want to scan your computer. How do I make sure that I don't accidentally scan your television? or your spouse's significant other's iPad. I don't want to know what you do at home. I I have no interest. But now I have the added burden of figuring out, am I looking at your corporate machine only, and maybe that corporate printer? Or am I accidentally looking at your kid's laptop? Because how many companies still use split tunneling? Yeah. I can't think of one myself, to be honest with you. uh, You'd be surprised. Very surprised. Home machines are bridges. And a lot of cyber insurers are saying, if you get breached through a home network, we're not going to cover you. How many people have looked at their cyber writers to say, does my cyber insurance cover this particular problem? And there are a lot out there that do not. I got to hover on that one for a second. Is that, that, that's, that's a revelation to me. And it, it, I can't imagine it's not to a lot of our listeners. I mean, we all know that cyber insurance has more fine print than anything I've ever seen, quite honestly. It's, it's, it's just literally, it's like the whole document's just fine print. It's perfect legalese. Of course it is. It's, it's, I mean, look, I, you have to have cyber insurance. Cyber insurance is very important, but those are expensive premiums. And they're not dumb. They know that what I just said is true. These are, these are uncontrolled environments. I mean, they're uncontrolled. You can live in a high volume area and people are seeing your Wi-Fi. You know, how long do I have to run a scanner against your home network before I can break into your passwords, right? Before I can break onto your network depends on how sophisticated you are. And let's take it back to ransomware because that's what you 
you're talking about. So now what you have is a scenario where the machine sitting in my house, because maybe I'm good at not clicky clicky, but my kids are not good at not clicky clicky. They clicky clicky. They get infected. It performs reconnaissance. I don't have in my house as a normal person any way to do automatic segmentation. I'm most likely not running an IDS. I'm most likely not having internal segmented firewalls. They clicky clicky. They get infected. The next thing I know, my corporate machine's getting infected. And you can start seeing how then it spreads into your corporation if you're not doing the basics. I, I, uh, I'm going to chime in here. You, you've mentioned clicky clicky a lot and it just, just to go on a side note here, I'm curious, uh, would you prefer clicky top pens or twisty bottoms? <laughs> so I will be honest. I like to twist pens, I, you know, or the pull top pens because I, I have to work very hard not to do the clicky clicky, but I, you know, and I will say there are a lot of people out there I talked to and said, Oh, it must be nice. You do all this stuff so you don't fall for, you know, phishing emails. That's not true. I I would be hard pressed to believe that if I tested both of you on a regular basis, I couldn't get you to fail greater than 20% of the time. It's not that easy um, to always spot these things. And adversaries know it. You know, they like to launch them on days that people are trying to go home right before the holidays, during the holidays, right before quarter end, right after if they see you're doing an earnings announcement. They, they're they sophisticated in their approach because, again, they're trying to prey on human nature, which is why you can't train yourself out of a ransomware problem. You just cannot do it. But you can help prevent damage. You can help contain the damage. Contain it, yes. So I I always like to go way into the past because I don't like talking negative of any company. But if you think about what we're talking about here around ransomware, and you go, what major ransomware scenarios of the past few years, there was a major shipper in 2017 that whole network gone, whole network gone, right? They one finance machine and the next thing you know, and those that are cyber savvy listening would know which one I'm talking about. Everything's down. What made them different? Why do people look at them as the gold standard, even though they lost every single machine? They lost them all. Well, but one. It's how they responded. And what they did after the fact made such a huge difference as compared to others where you see the response being so poor. And again, when they put in the controls afterwards, it was not to stop ransomware from ever hitting their organization. It was to make sure the next time it happened, they had a better way to respond that wasn't people jumping over tables, yanking cords out of walls to try and save machines. That's it. We want to walk away living. So if you can contain it quickly, you can move forward. And, you know, Gabe, we, we were talking about MTTD and MTTR a minute ago, and we said it's up to a year. And, I'm, I'm, you know, Ponymon studies, they talk about this a lot. And don't quote me, but it's greater than 200 days for the average MTTD. I think it's close to 60 or 90 days for MTTR afterwards. And then you ask yourself, 
to your point, Gabe, you walk through the seven steps, the cyber kill chain of ransomware in the last one. How long do you have? When that first machine gets infected, how long do you have? Before it spreads, yeah, five seconds, 25 seconds, 30 seconds, right? You don't have a lot of time. There are technology solutions out there to help you, again, notice immediately, wow, we've got something performing reconnaissance. That's not allowed to kill it, and let's investigate it at our leisure, right? Let's not go with this old, you know, the old MSSP, the managed security services model was, you know, hours, if not days, when it came to how you respond. The new one needs to be active response and then investigation post-active response. And a lot of people listening to your show are going to flip out when I say that because they're like, oh my God, what happens if I take the CEO down? What happens if I if I isolate the CEO machine or the CRO or the, the chief legal counsel? And, and I sit back and go, well, I would much rather call my chairman and say, we had a 0.001% false positive and I isolated your machine for a few minutes, but it's back now. Then making the phone call going, I found a copy of your machine on the internet. Oops. Which which of those scenarios? So it's conversation, it's communication to to deal with response. And and I'll throw one last thing out that I think people do wrong here. The three of us are talking, right? Cameron, Gabe, me, we're having this conversation. Not one of us is the best at dealing with this. There are thousands and thousands of cyber professionals out there. What I think people in this community need to understand is we're all on the same team. I don't care what company you work for. I don't care if you're the CISO at a direct competitor of mine. We're all doing the same job. And we have to start working better together. We have to communicate, right? And and it's more than just sharing IOCs. It's sharing what I do versus what you do so that we can get the best of breed. Because our adversaries are doing it. Why aren't we? I don't have the answer, much like you alluded to a minute ago. Like the, I, I, don't, I certainly don't have a good answer. Um, collectively, as as an industry, I, I have some thoughts on why we aren't. <clears throat> I rail about this oftentimes, but you know, I don't think this show is the one for it. But suffice to say, I think part of it is the way we build technologies to solve these problems is part of the problem, right? Like we were we were talking before we went live about the backup technology sector literally doubling their addressable market overnight which says something about the security industry that this completely other industry came to our rescue for ransomware. They were just hanging out there, just doing their, their, their data resiliency thing, like, la, 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 we're just going to make sure that your IT systems keep humming along. And then, boom, they're now, they're now a security solution. Like, that dynamic says something about what we're doing in terms of building technologies to solve for the problem. So... My answer, unfortunately, will take us down uh, one of my religious bents that will uh, that will have all of my security product people going, why does he keep saying that out loud? I wish he wouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> but I keep saying it out loud. But here's what I'm going to do, actually. I'm going to kind of turn that same question back to you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to morph it into one that Cam asks our guests often. If all you had was $100 to solve uh, – not solve, but to begin addressing – ransomware inside your organization where are you going to spend that hundred bucks yeah i i 
So again, for me, that hundred dollars would go to education and communication, not technology. Because again, if you come at it from a tech mindset, that means you're coming at it from the prevent. And as we, I like to say a lot, and this is very, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but prevention is dead long live response. I'm not saying don't have firewalls and don't have IDS, but if your mentality is I've built an infrastructure that can't be breached, man, you got it wrong. You really, really have it wrong. I would spend that $100 to train and communicate. I uh, Train, 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 and you train through testing. Muscle memory is important. You got to work with your teams. That's where I would spend my money to start. Once you get the train, then you can start building in the layers. You, you got to have things in there. You know, if you don't have a um, configuration database, if you don't understand what you actually have in the environment, you got a problem. If you don't have a good IAM strategy, you got a problem. If you're not controlling data encryption at rest, EDR, anti-encryption capabilities, and you can just go down the list, you got a problem. But if you start there, what you're doing is telling your employees, click all you want. I got you when you don't. Flip it around. This is a team sport, right? We say it all the time. Cameron, I see you're laughing and we can see each other during this podcast. It's, it is a team sport. So let's, let's go team. That's where I would spend my buck. I think Cameron, we're going to have to run the following exercise. A, we might have to retire that question if only because I don't know we're going to get a better answer than training, honestly. But there's only two other guests that I think have given that answer. James McQuiggan was one of them. And I want to say it was uh, Ed. I think it was Ed at Cal State was the other. And we've asked this question probably 40 times. Like it's, it's one of our standard questions. We, we, we appreciate understanding with limited resources, as we all have, how people will approach different problems. And we've only gotten three people that, that have turned to the human factor and said, we have to empower and educate the people. That's not to say the other people were, were anyway wrong to your point about, you know, you still need the firewalls and all the other things like you, you need those things. But uh, there is there is a significant lack, I think, of that, that understanding that training is a, a integral component in, in this problem. Um, we, we can't expect people to just know better. Uh, look, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. How many thousands of hours? I think it's the, the running stories. You need 10,000 hours to become the expert in something. I mean, so let's let's take that mantra and make it into a fishing world. How many tests do you have to run to become an expert? 10,000 hours of fishing training is a little much, so it has to be continuous. And And I think the other piece of it is it has to be gamified. And I know that is an overly used word, man. I know. No, I disagree. Uh, I I know it's been bastardized, but I'm I'm with you on on that word is important. So go with it. No, it just it should not be. You know, we we have a tendency in this world when we talk to use FUD. I don't know why we love FUD. We love let me scare you into compliance. Let me tell you why the world is exploding into compliance, and it doesn't work. It 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 just doesn't work. So if you gamify it. And you know, I'll give you an example of something we did here. We gamified it. When the results came out, we wouldn't tell certain leaders who in their organizations were susceptible to fish or not. What we did is at a, a leadership level, it was a challenge of who could do the best, whose organization paid the closest attention and passed the most tests, and you gamified it, right? And it became this challenge where I didn't want to look at my peer and go, man, my, my team is loves to clicky-clicky versus your team, right? I, 
it, it, we gamified it. And then we proved to our associates that there's no retribution. There's no, you're going to get a phone call unless you click the link 17 times. The person who did that knows who they are. If they listen to this, unless you're that person, it, I'm, I'm doing this for the betterment of our corporation, but I'm doing it for the betterment of you. That's why we're doing it. And then prove it. There's someone out there that clicks 16 times that is <laughs> thankful for that. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not the worst. <laughs> could you could you imagine that that actual like executive meeting? It's just like a back and forth of who clicky clicky and just just using that word back and forth would be pretty. Hysterical. Especially if there was beer involved. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> but if you have some fun with it. Because otherwise, you go into board meetings, you go into your executive meetings, and it's this, your team clicked 32%, and your team clicked blah, and, and then I step back and go, I don't know what that means. So let's throw this in there. I don't know what that means, because ultimately, Gabe Cameron, what percentage of people do you think you need to get to in a corporation to be safe? I'd like to add to that, or just put an aspect on it. You can't get to zero. You That's cannot it. get to zero. That's not a thing you can do. Right. So, so and, and what we start getting into there is, is just your basic risk conversation of, okay, so what's our acceptable level of how many people are allowed to clicky-clicky? We, we know 17 clicks is, is not the answer either, by the way. That's not it. Number 16, we got our eyes on you next, buddy. So be careful. But, but <laughs> even, even in the world order… If let's say I can't go in front of my board and go, hey, you know what? We were at X percentage and now we're at X minus Y percentage. Hooray. Because again, that to me is like saying, hey, last month I got into 10 accidents and I swiped uh, three telephone poles. But this month I only got into 10 accidents and I didn't swipe any telephone poles. That's not really better, right? I mean, it's, I would rather talk about, hey, we've, We've done things to help educate our employees. Let me show you what we're doing. And then we've put some controls in because this is the latest that's out there. So if we did get hit with this, this is how we're going to react. And with a lot of companies, we are testing our response teams. So we're actively infecting ourselves. We're running scenarios. We're running tabletops to make sure that the first time we test our process is not when all the alarm bells are going off. Which, by the way, brings us back to that backup solutions being your answer to like how many people have backups they've never tested. And so even after they get hit with ransomware, they're like, go get the backup tapes. And it's like, I'm sorry, we, we haven't checked those in the better part of two years. We don't even know if they, they can restore data. I, I could tell you all the way back to when I first started in this business, going getting a call. I was an admin getting a, for another company, getting a call saying, hey, the exchange is down. Uh, it's gotten corrupted. I need you to come restore. And, oh, okay. So we went in and we're helping the local admin. And he just sort of gave us this look. And we're like, what's the problem? And he's like, I thought it was backing up. And you're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, I, th I thought it was. I didn't, I didn't see any alarms. And you're like, oh, no. That's not good. <laughs> I thought it was. And to your point, Matt, that's that's back to basics. Like you, you said you were going to back things up. Did you check that you back things up? 
And then did you check the backups to ensure that they are actual backups and that there's data there that can be restored? Did you do those basic things, right? Like, And, and that goes to ransomware. Have you run the scenarios? And a lot of us, again, let's go back to, you know, you're talking about that, how do I help organizations? You're not the expert. I'm not the expert. We are the expert. Bring in other organizations to help you. Have a new set of eyes. A lot of times we accidentally become complacent. You're busy, you're busy, you're busy. You're bu- you know, you ever notice when you start a new role, the person before you was crushingly busy, crushingly, right? Everybody is crushingly busy. But the day you start, you're not crushingly busy. Hmm. What happened to all that work, right? And when it, where did it all go? I mean, I started a job, I remember a long time ago, and one of the very senior executives sat me down and said, look, your predecessor had a laundry list of that. was stressed out all the time. Here's his notepad. Here it is. And I looked at it. I looked at him. I'm like, what do you want me to do with this? He goes, all those things. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do any of these things. I don't, I don't know what this chicken scratch means. And I threw it away and I started my job. Right. And you got to start thinking in these ways, even inside your environment. So we got to practice and test and test and test. So let's go a little further upstream. Let's let's talk a little prevention, a little prevention. What's What are some of the good basic preventative measures? We've talked about educating your people on the clicky, clicky side, but, but once it's in, they clicked. We talked about monitoring your environments for all those pots and pans that are banging like it's just ridiculous the pots and pans that are banging but what's next what is there and is there anything else next that that organization should be doing to make themselves more resilient sure so we have an unfortunate that we've relied on packet filtering segmentation for i mean ad nauseum you know you could go back to the you know early 2000s yeah, firewall blocks. And then you, again, that, that company I talked about, they had firewall segmentation. And then the ransomware, which was actually wiperware, not ransomware, um, masked itself as port 1433 and just decimated the network because nobody does deep packet filtering. Nobody does because most organizations can't afford the hit of two performance and bandwidth by doing that. Proper modern segmentation is one. Micro segmentation is another. You may lose a micro segment, which is way better than losing a full segment or your entire infrastructure. EDR for me is a thing, right? It, you, you have to move past ransomware. You have to move past centralized SIM is the only way you're going to know there's a problem. You have to start making these decisions at your endpoints because that's where it is. And, and Gabe, we said quite a while ago, you don't have an hour, you don't have 15 minutes, you don't have a day, you've got seconds. You're not gonna centrally see what's going on and then do something about it in seconds. It has to be done at the endpoints, And you have to test over and over. And I don't mean your employees or associates, test your response. Test your response. Create a lab segment and infect it. You don't know how to do that? Hire someone who does. Bring in a partner. Bring in your organization, right? Your organization does data. You know data, right? Bring you in and work with a third-party attack company. And let's do something with the data within my environment 
one, do I see it, right? Does it pots and pans, as you're saying? Does it set off all my alarm bells? And two, okay, you saw it. Did you do anything about it? Yeah, we've seen those news stories, too. It's like, well, the alarms did go off. No one, but no we're one busy. Alarms. We're too yeah. busy to do anything, and you know we were tired. And again, I don't want to just de- 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 degrade anybody because we all fall subject to this. We're all busy. We're all tired. We're human beings. But if you're hoping your tier one analyst inside of your sock is going to be the one that sees the alarm within seconds, goes, "I know exactly what that is, and I'm going to do something about it," other than open a ticket, call a network admin, call a firewall admin, say, do me a favor, put this rule in play. You start listing all those things out and you go, wow, it's not seconds, we're at hours. Let's rephrase this. The person, and not to disparage them, but the, but the person with the entry-level sock job is the one that you're relying on to protect you from the $40 million hit. I, say that at, I, say that at the next board meeting and see how it goes up. Absolutely, the, and it's the job that you're like, you know, you need to lower your costs there, right? It, and that's the other role that a lot of organizations are fully focused on. We need to fix the MTTD, MTDR. We have a SLA of 30 minutes from the time a ticket's created to do something about it. And you, again, you scratch your head and go, "That's a really weird analogy." And Let's be honest, in, by the time it goes through a SIM, if you haven't tuned it correctly and into your sock, so I have an analogy about this. I'm a, I'm a big into analogies. It's like getting a phone call one day as a CISO that says, hey, Mr. Newfield, I think someone broke into your house. I recommend you go home. We're not sure if they're in your house. I can't tell if they're doing anything bad. Man, I hope your kids are okay. Call us back and let us know what you find. And you go, wait a minute, that's that's our mentality these days. And what we're talking with active response, same scenario. It's, you know, hey, Mr. Newfield, someone broke into your house. They're in your foyer. They're in your living room. I put a cage around them. They're whack. Don't worry about it. They came in through your front door. We've called the cops. Your kids are fine, right? You lost the couch. You lost the front door. That, the rest of the house is fine. They're caged. Police are on their way. Go back to your vacation, and again, it's that mental, you asked me about the hundred bucks at the beginning, there it is. It's the culture training mental shift inside the organization, then you can build better response plans. Yeah, right on. That's good advice. That's great advice. That's actionable advice. So I, I, I'm really that, hoping that, our listeners are, uh, are taking some notes there. Yeah, I mean, you got to take notes. It's That's the whole thing is you, you got to think through. And, and again, people should be reaching out. None of us are secretive individuals, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let's have a conversation. The most exciting thing for me about any of these conversations, any of these podcasts, is the people that reach out and and have regular meetings. I have stacks of regular meetings, even on weekends with people who just want to talk. And I'll tell you the greatest thing about it is I learn probably more than I teach. And they would say the same thing in the conversation. So we're both heavily learning from each other, and that's powerful. I, <clears throat> I just want to say that it, I love that because it's the mindset of you know the security and privacy community. The privacy community is really strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's growing. 
it's really neat to learn from from all these individuals and in, 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 even in the security um, industry as well. And the really cool thing that I love that you said is even with companies and then everybody else joining together, I think that instead of it thinking about like, I'm busy, I'm busy, it's more like right. this is a we in the organization, outside of the organization, as a community, love this it. is a we. Yep. It's all about this. I love it. Uh, about that, that communication and getting together. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just beating up my security people today, so I'll buy you all pizza <laughs> next week, I promise. All of you. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> they're difficult to get a hold of sometimes. Like oftentimes, and it's not just because they're busy. They've developed this adversarial defensive mindset where if they get any random connection on LinkedIn, they're like, yeah, maybe I accept it, but I don't want to talk to that person. And this is this is purely unscientific, but I wear a couple of hats, right? Like I wear a product hat, I wear a security hat, and and, and when I reach out to people in product roles, for example, I'm just going to give you something very anecdotal. I, I do a lot of research. And so in the last year, I've reached out to I don't know how many hundreds of security people. Um, I get roughly somewhere between like a 10 and 15 response rate from them. When I reach out to others inside the organization, like product security people, for example, I get like a 50, 60% response. And while I respect that trust but verify, this thing where they just shut everything down because, again, like just pull the cables. Just I'm safe. That exchange of information and ideas isn't happening amongst them, unfortunately. And it's not all of them, but it's enough of them. And again, purely unscientific, but in, in the people I reach out to, I'm like, man, it is. It's always so refreshing when I reach out to others. I'm like, ah, that's right. Human beings that want to engage and talk. Now, to be fair, it's not completely fair to, com- to compare security people to product people because product people by nature, are, they have to be empathetic to be good at what they are and they have to be people people, right? Like you have to be able to to communicate and, and, to, and, and to converse and, and to and to interact interview someone and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I look, I agree. We're, we're paranoid people. We're cynical people. I mean, that's, that's in our nature, but that shouldn't stop you because it shouldn't stop you. Right. And, and it's, it's harder now. There used to be a lot of, okay, so I'll go to this meet and greet. I'll go to this event and everybody's in a room and you felt better as compared to people who join these and then have everything behind them grayed out so you can't tell am i being recorded you got a camera by is there someone else in the room i mean we're all ultra paranoid folk but again it shouldn't stop you from building an alliance with people maybe it takes time before you are willing to divulge some information but i i know we're running out of time but i will leave one last thing that you said that i 100 percent love we also have a tendency to focus solely in our circles, cybersecurity. And you got to stop doing that. Get in with your privacy folks. Get in with your product folks. Get in with your legal teams. Every, these other communities that are out there can bring so much value to the fight we're in um, that if you're not, you are missing a huge part of your job, in my opinion. So that was it. For me, I mean, I I, I think Cam, you're. <laughs> oh well, wow! Thank you. Welcome to. <laughs> oh wow! Thank you. Appreciate it. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. Great. Is it Friday yet? Almost. Oh. So, I, I I wanted to I wanted to ask a few fun questions in our our last segment here. It's it's our last segment called Dark Deep Secrets. And it, obviously, it's funny because we're a privacy please co- podcast, but we like to get a little bit uh, deeper okay. with our guests. Um, so you can answer any way you like. It's just a way to to have a little fun and, and get to know you a little bit better. 
So we'll start with an easy one. What is your favorite drink? So I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to my favorite drink. Um, And if it's on the alcohol variety, it would be that very high-end Jack Daniels. Um, I'm a Jack Black guy. I I enjoy Jack Black. If we're not talking about um, alcohol, um, water actually is my favorite. Um, How do you feel about the double black? It's got a little extra. How do I feel about the what? The, 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 he makes a double black too, doesn't he, uh, Johnny Walker? It's it's, it's extra oh. peaty though. I don't know if that that's your thing. Uh, it is. So we can go into a Scotch world. It gets really weird. But in a in a um, another pod. But Jack Daniels there. There's a, a 1914 Jack. There is a Sinatra edition Jack. But just Jack Black works for me as well. I have not tried the Sinatra. Oh, it's delicious. Sounds like it would be. If you could, uh, if your life uh, was a movie, what what genre would it be, and who would who would star as you? Uh, so it'd be a comedy. Um, I, I like to have fun. I, I'd rather not be in a uh, massive drama because that's exhausting. And uh, so I used to have a goatee, and I got rid of it years ago because everybody told me I looked exactly like Tom Green. So much to the oh, point I where, oh yeah. So much to the point I've where I've never seen that before. Oh, uh, uh, now you see now I can't unsee it. Oh God, I've never seen that. But I've known you for years, Matt. I've never seen uh, that. Now I, I, now I can't unsee that. Gabe, I got to tell you, I actually was asked once. I was in Vegas for a, an event, and I got asked for an autograph. And I'm looking at this person like, <laughs> "Why do you want who, who? I'm no, but what are you talking about? They're like, I love your movies. Your comedy is very funny. I'm like, oh, you think I'm someone else? <laughs> That's not me." So. Good thing you got that person because Tom <laughs> Green also has a lot of enemies. <laughs> True. It could, it could be worse. It could be worse. Right. <laughs> it's a good choice nonetheless. He, he did some sketchy things though at, at certain times of his career, but yeah, it could be worse. I mean, <laughs> let's not go there. But you do like to have fun though. He likes to have fun. That's right. Comedy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, if, you could, uh, if you could put one thing in a time capsule and open it in 10 years, what would you put in there right now? Wow. Um, so it'd be a more of a personal thing. It'd be a letter to my kids. Um, you know, I, I am blessed with three boys and, uh, they range from 20 to seven. Um, so just letters to them and it's something we do now. And I just, I think that's a very cool thing to do for your kids. That's awesome. Well, to that, to that note, do you, uh, do you guys have any family traditions that you started once, once you started having the boys? Anything that you started that your your parents never did? So we have some family traditions around the holidays that are embarrassing to talk about over uh, a <laughs> podcast. But yes, we have started some family traditions. We hope hold through. Um, it's all you know, matching one onesies, isn't it? It's it, the whole family wears matching onesies. They're very you. close, <laughs> and uh, we're going to leave it at that. Um, but y- yes, you would not be that far off uh, um, on certain days of the year that it's uh, embarrassingly coordinated in our household. Um, but yeah, we, it. I love it. That's good stuff. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> That's fair. Um, if you if you could uh, have one superpower, what would it be, and why? Uh, wow. Uh, I would say the uh, power to transport. And I'll tell you why. I hate being on planes. And before the uh, COVID crisis, you know, traveling overseas to have to attend a one hour meeting and realize you're going to do 18 hours of flying total and 
all the driving, how cool would it be if I could just walk through a door or magically just be there? That, and I know that maybe people are like, oh my God, you just took a superpower and, and made it so your work is easier, it's but easier, but. <laughs> Yeah. I, yes, I know. Yeah. I get I get the joke, but let's be blunt. If I said flying, you know, I think people forget that if if you could fly at thirty thousand feet, you can't breathe and it's really cold. So you have to have additional superpowers. So and invisibility is one really last easy. thing too. It's kind of crowded up there. There's birds. There's satellites. There's planes. You don't really want to be up there. And there's not a lot of yeah, oxygen. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, there's no oxygen. Right. You, you you got no business up there. That's right. God wanted you to fly. He was giving you wings. In certain situations, sometimes I I just go, man, I wish I could just snap my fingers and just not hit my microphone, but go go somewhere. I I mean, instantly. If you're you're in an office and you know you're going to be sitting in rush hour traffic on the way home, how cool would it be just to go, I'll be home in 12 seconds. Hey, I'm home. Look (laughs) at me. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Hey, do you want to go to dinner (laughs) in Europe tonight? Let's go. That would be fun. Hold, Hold my hand. That's right. The Concorde. They bring the Concorde back, though. Well, yes, it's not the Concorde. Or they bring back the Concorde and a new Concorde-like service as well, too. So, not quite snapping your fingers, but maybe you get that eighteen hours down to like a solid mm-hmm. seven. <laughs> Woohoo! Exactly. <laughs> last two. Uh, last two questions. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Ignorance. And and I don't mean not knowing the refusal to learn and listen, um, uh, ignorance. I I tell people that's all the time. I'm an avid listener and an avid learner. Um, and that would be my number one in this. Just someone set in their own ways, not, not willing to be open. Yeah. And then it's the tie to that is arrogance. Yeah. Yeah. They do go hand in hand, don't they? They go hand in hand. I don't want to hear you because I'm better than you is just the drives me crazy. Put another, put another, piece of bread on top and you got yourself a nice sandwich just a little hubris on top to <laughs> top it off and there it is it's the jerk sandwich it, it, just like take a bite it's out. a dirt sandwich covered in mold that's it <laughs> <laughs> um and what last one what's your favorite movie of all time or tv show all right again i go with the comedies uh a little old school but uh, my favorite movie of all time is caddyshack you know, good, I would if, if I were a gambling man, I would have said Big was your movie. I don't know why, but I would have said that. I don't know why. Big's a great, it's a great movie, but Caddyshack mm-hmm. has all of the classic stars in it from the past, and it's just one of those. Yeah, it, uh, any movie that makes you drool out of both sides of your mouth because you're laughing, that's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, when I think of Caddyshack, I think of, I think of uh, Rodney Dangerfield with his ridiculous. Um, golf bag and then i think of the scene where he's uh running around in his underwear uh, and <laughs> trying, to, trying to get out of the house and i i think of one of the my favorite lines of that movie that just makes you go oh god that's just it's uh billy the world needs ditch diggers too and sort of walks away and you're like whoa man that's mind-blowing but yes the rodney danger feel <laughs> with the old school stereo system inside of the golf bag and the beer come on that's fun I feel like he wrote wrote the uh, the running around in his underwear into a lot of his contracts because he did it in like three or four movies all the time. Yeah, like all the time. Like <laughs> now I have to watch. If, if you were making what he was making, I'd be running around in my underwear too. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. Yeah. Well, Matthew, thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I know we're uh, over time, but uh, thank you for what you do. Really enjoyed our chat here, and uh, I, I'm excited to see um, you know what you guys do there at Unisys and. 
hopefully we'll have you back on if you if you uh, if you're up for it. I would absolutely love it. it. Was an honor to to do this with you both. I wish you all the best of luck, and we love working with you you all in your organization. So I wish you the best. Stay safe, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Bye bye. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends, and then make maybe make some new friends along the way uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ... Can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. Bye.